Today has been a wonderful day already. Uh, you know, I don't like to to kind of signal out people, but uh, you know, it, Josephine, it is good to have you back. It's uh, it's been since March. Is that right? Since March, that she's been able to be out of the nursing home or the hospital to be able to be here. I, I visited her Thursday, and she, she couldn't even tell me Thursday that she was going to be here. I, I'm like, I don't know, you know, but it is. It's good to be here. It's good to have you here. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about, uh, you know, uh, the impossible being made possible. So whenever I think about this, um, I uh, have to go back to whenever I was 13 years old, and we were on vacation, went to Stone Mountain National Park. No, it wasn't Stone Mountain National Park. Um, Six Flags over Atlanta. It was in Atlanta. Six Flags over Georgia. Where is it? It's that amusement park. Okay, yeah. Okay, the amusement park. Uh, you know, so we went there, and I had never ridden a motor, you know, a, a motorcycle. I had never ridden a roller coaster. So my mother, she's like, okay, I'll go with you as long as you go. Well, yeah, I'll go with you as long as you go. I will get this right. My mother talked me into riding a roller coaster. It was called the Mindbender. Do you, any of y'all remember the Mindbender? It was the first roller coaster with three complete loops in it. Now, this is my very first roller coaster to ever ride. And she's going to get me on this one. I rode it four times that day. I loved it. There's something about experiencing something that just simply changes your respect of it or changes your outlook to it. Now, those bungee cord swings that they have outside the amusement parks? No. No. Not, not doing that. Not doing that. But I'm also reminded of my uh, fifth wedding anniversary. Peggy, uh, you know, wants us to go down to uh, Louisiana. We're living in North Carolina, so we go down to Louisiana, visit with my mom and dad. Uh, you know, typical. Uh, you know, most vacations you go visit family, right? It's cheaper that way. You stay in their homes instead of the hotel rooms. Uh, you know, so we went. You know, we stayed there with my mom and dad. They were really nice. Uh, they had a fifth-wheel trailer that was set up out in the field somewhere, and they let us stay in it. So we had our privacy. Well, we really didn't because all of our nieces and nephews wound up coming over, you know. Plus, we had our kids that was with us, and we wound up taking a trip to New Orleans. How many of y'all have ever been to New Orleans? We had three grandkids and our two kids. Great anniversary. Get to New Orleans, and, I, you know, I'd been there a lot of times. Went to the French quarters, loved the beignets. Not so much the coffees whenever I was younger, but now I love the coffees and the beignets. So we had coffee and beignets that morning, uh, you know, and we're sitting around there, and they have those horse-drawn buggies that set out there, uh, you know, for the tourist trap to take all the tourists around the, the, you know, the square. My dad always told me, never waste your money on that. My wife talked me into wasting my money on that. Now, if you can picture this, okay, so it's me and my wife, okay, it's two of our children and three nephews, so our three nephews and nieces. So we had, uh, you know, 
the buggy was full, plus the carriage in the back, plus the, side, the seat next to the gentleman, uh, you know, the lady that was doing this. Before we even took off, I was amazed. She began talking about New Orleans, about how New Orleans was below sea level. I knew that. She said, look right over there, right across the road. You could see the river. It was over your head. I was sitting in a buggy, and the river was over my head. Gave me a new understanding as far as New Orleans being under sea level. It wasn't a waste. There's times that we look at things, and we get a little bit of information that changes it forever. So hopefully that's where we're going to be today. I know that I have been changed. So we're going to look at John chapter 2. And we're going to begin with verse 23. John chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. I want you to understand that I have never started a message about Nicodemus from John chapter 2. I have always preached about Nicodemus, John chapter 3. So what does John chapter 2, what does it tell us that we don't get or what would we miss if we don't read that? 23 it says because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration many began to trust him but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature no one needed to tell him what mankind is really like so we begin the story of Nicodemus where Nicodemus goes and visits Jesus with finding out that the people had begun to understand and realize who Jesus was, they began to trust in Jesus because of the signs, the miracles that he had been doing. And then we get into chapter 3, and in chapter 3 it begins, it says, There was a, a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader who was a Pharisee. So a Jewish leader tells us that he was one of the ones that set out on the gate or by the gates. And whenever the people came by, they would, and they had issues or something that needed to be discussed or a settlement or something that needed to be settled, Nicodemus would have been one of those men that were sitting there listening to all of those things going on and giving the information or giving the judgment on those things. But then it says he was a Pharisee. A Pharisee is one that sits and actually studies the law and actually writes and rewrites the things for the people to have and to know. So he was astute. He was learned. Uh, you know, so we find this. And it says, after dark one evening, he came to speak to Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So let's stop right there. First thing that we see whenever we're looking at this is, is that we see that Jesus knows the heart of the people. And he knows the heart of the people is wicked. So he doesn't trust the people. He doesn't trust the ways of the people. And he makes sure that he guards himself from them. And then we have Nicodemus, a religious leader and a Pharisee that comes to him. And what does Nicodemus do? 
Nicodemus tells Jesus that we know who you are. We know that God has sent you. We know that God has sent you. And God has sent you to do something for us or to us. What has he sent Jesus to do? Nicodemus tells us that he has sent us here or he has sent Jesus here to teach. You got it? Jesus, so the we, we got to get the we out of the, out of the room first. How many people have ever told you, whenever you're saying that we're going to do this, they ask you, do you have a mouse in your pocket? I want you to understand there's no mouse in Nicodemus' robe. Whenever Nicodemus says we, Nicodemus is talking about the other religious leaders and the Pharisees that's with him. They know who Jesus is. They know that Jesus is sent by God. And they know that he is sent there to teach them. Now Jesus then answers a question. But does Nicodemus ever ask a question? Nicodemus never asked Jesus a question. So whenever Jesus begins and Jesus says, and it says that Jesus replied, Jesus is replying to the fact that Nicodemus said that you were here to teach us. And Jesus said, this is what I'm here to teach you. And what did Jesus say that he was here to teach you or to teach us? Verse 3. He says, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. I want us to study this for just a second. I went to five different translations, and that word see is see in every one of them. So for us to be able to see heaven, we have to be born again. See is not only in the physical term. We are not able to see heaven spiritually unless we are born again. We do not understand the things of God unless we are born again. We do not understand how people can go through such struggles unless God is with them. We cannot see that Unless we are born again. We do not have an understanding of why people go to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and every Wednesday night. Unless we are born again. It is something that we cannot experience. Nicodemus doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. So in verse 5, Jesus has to answer it again. In verse 5, Jesus doesn't go and begin to answer another question. He is simply explaining to Nicodemus what his answer was. To In verse 5, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Two things, not one, two things. He says that you must be born of water and of Spirit. Now, this is not talking about your physical birth. Because remember, Nicodemus says, how is it able or how can an old man be born again of his mother? How can he go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus was not talking about the physical birth. Jesus is talking about a birth 
of water or a baptism of water. And the reason in how we get this is, is because Jesus is coming right after John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 3 verse 11, it says, As for me, John speaking, as for me, I baptize you with water of, for repentance. But he who comes after me is mightier than I. I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Two different things. John baptized with water. Jesus baptized with spirit. Jesus goes in in verse 13 and begins to explain to us how and the difference of it is. It's because Jesus is of spirit because he is the only one that has came from heaven. So he is the only one that knows about the spiritual realm. Therefore, Jesus is the only one that can baptize with, spirit, with the Spirit. But he's explaining to Nicodemus what he said at the first. If you want to see heaven, you have to be born of water. Or you have to be baptized in the water. You have to ask for forgiveness. Now, <laughs> I had a young gentleman in Mississippi that received Jesus Christ as his Savior. He was nine years old, deathly afraid of water. And I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm like, you know, Travis, I, I, need, to, I need to baptize you. He goes, oh, I, I'm scared of water. Mom and dad, oh, no, he's, he's scared of water. You can't get him in the water. I'm like, man, I, I got to get you in the water. I, you know, I wanted to get him in the water. I was at a church that hadn't had a baptism in over 10 years. I'm like, we really need to stir these waters in this baptismal pool. We really need to do this. So I was talking with him at his house one night, and I said, man, I said, look, I said, I got something for you. He said, what's that? I gave him a scuba mask and a, a straw, the, the, the snorkel, had the little snorkel come up. I said, you can wear this and be baptized in it. He's like, oh, I can. I said, yeah. I said, you'll still be able to breathe through this hose. He goes, I think I can do that. Last year, I got a letter from his mom. His junior high team broke the state record in the 4x4 freestyle relay for middle school. Broke the record. And he's the anchor leg. It's possible. But Jesus is telling Nicodemus and he's telling us. He says the first thing that you have to do is that you have to be forgiven of your sins. The very first thing that you've got to do is you've got to be baptized. You've got to ask for forgiveness. And you need to be baptized. Baptized is the outward showing of the inward works. Scripture tells us that if you deny me before uh, you know, the people here on this earth, then I will deny you before my Father in heaven. We've got to voice out our transformation. We have to let it known that we have been forgiven for our sins. Baptism by water. Baptism by the Spirit. Verse 10. Jesus now comes to Nicodemus because Nicodemus asks it in, doesn't understand this. Still don't understand this. How is this so? Can you look at can you see Jesus at this point in time? I've told you twice. I've given you an illustration that you would that you should know because John the Baptist is fresh on our minds. You've heard him. Jesus says, Are you the teacher of Israel? You get this? Are you the teacher of Israel? 
In verse 2, Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi. In verse 10, Jesus calls Nicodemus rabbi. So this is a rabbi talk rabbi. So trust me, the conversation wasn't this short. I saw some people kind of chuckle. It says, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify of what we have seen and you do not accept our testimony. We have the word we in here again. But Jesus has given us the we. There again, Jesus doesn't have a mouse in his robe. There's different thoughts and different philosophies through this. One of the main thoughts uh, you know, of this is, is that uh, you know, this would be the we, would be the disciples. I really don't like that thought because the disciples struggled with who Jesus was all the way until his resurrection. And it wasn't until Jesus rose from the grave that they truly understood who he was. The we, I think, that's here. It's talking about the winds that Jesus is talking about. It's talking about creation. It's talking about all the things that knows of God and knows of the Holy Spirit. The we that Jesus is talking about. But it's mainly about the testimony. He says, the things that I am teaching you or that I'm telling you, you can't accept them because you don't understand where they come from. You can't accept them because you don't understand where they come from. In verse 13, it says, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And Moses lifted as, and as Moses lifted up the serpent, or the snake, on the pole in the wilderness, so the, man of, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. We're finding here that Jesus is making sure that Nicodemus truly understands who he is. But the thing about it is, is that Jesus is teaching Nicodemus something that is completely different than what they have been teaching. Now, I can't say from what they had been taught, because in Joel it talks about the Spirit being poured out upon us as water being poured out. So they had been taught about the Holy Spirit and about baptism of water and baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, but they didn't understand it. So Jesus is helping him and he's helping us to understand this. How does Jesus help us to understand this? He goes and he breaks it down just a little bit more for us. In verse 19, Jesus says, God's light came into the world, but the people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. Jesus is explaining the difference. He's explaining how we are supposed to be able to see heaven. And he says that we have to be born again. Didn't understand that. So then he said you have to be born of water and of spirit. Didn't truly understand that. So then he says that God, or you know, here in 10, that the darkness or the light has been rejected because we like the darkness more than we like the light. We like being in the shadows more than we like being in the light. We like living a life of sin more than we like living a life of following Jesus Christ or following God's commands in our life. 
We like the darkness more than we like the light. Verse 21 says, But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. Simplicity. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to believe in the light. You go back to Genesis and God said, let there be light. You go to John chapter 1 and he says, the light came into the world and the light is the life of the world. If we do not believe in the light, we do not believe in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the light. And if we are baptized and we are repented of our sins and we move into the light, then we live in the light. We are spiritually baptized because we walk the way that God has for us to walk. We live in the light. And the only way that we can live in the light is if we are full of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it if we are just water baptized. Because what is man's heart? Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows that our heart is bent to wickedness. He knows that we had rather live in the darkness, live in the shadows, than live in the light. The only thing that draws us to the light is if the Spirit is within us, keeping us and drawing us to that light. That is the only way that we can live in that light that he's talking about. So Jesus backs up, or we back up, and we go to verses chapter 3, again, still in chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. In verses 13 through 18, Jesus tells us who does the saving. It's Jesus Christ. He says, there's one or the one that has come from heaven. See, he's the only one that's came from heaven and lived here on this earth perfectly for us. He is that perfect sacrifice. And then Jesus tells us how it's done. I think it's interesting whenever he goes in and tells us how it's done. This is the very first time that Jesus is going to talk to us about the cross. And we don't even realize it. Because he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He is telling Nicodemus that he will be lifted up just as the serpent was lifted up in the pole, on the pole in the wilderness. And the serpent was lifted up on the pole in the wilderness to do what? To provide salvation, to provide healing. For the people. And then Jesus tells us why he does it. And he does it because of love. John 3.16 That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See this whole thing is to explain to us what we must do to be able to see heaven. We have to be born or baptized or repent of our sins. We have to be baptized by the Spirit. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, 
they prayed for the new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Second, could I say third, follow me. Whenever we're saved, Jesus Christ comes in, and we get all of Jesus. Spirit of God comes into us. Well, wait a minute. Jesus rose from the grave, visits his disciples behind the locked doors. And what does he do? He breathes upon them and they receive the Holy Spirit. But in Acts, they are clothed by tongues of fire and they are full of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we come to the altar and we ask for forgiveness of our sins, Jesus forgives us of our sins and his Spirit dwells us. There comes a point in time in our lives after we learn about Him and what He truly has for us that we relinquish control of our lives and we give it over to Him. Someone's get this and it says that whenever we have our baptism of water or baptism of repentance, we get all of Jesus. Whenever we get sanctified, Jesus gets all of us. Acts chapter 11 Verses 15 and 16. As I begin to speak, Peter continued, The Holy Spirit fell on them, just as He had fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the, wor- of the Lord's words when He said, John baptized by water, or with the water, but you will baptize or be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's other occasions where people had been saved and the apostles go to them and they lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit or to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is something about allowing the Holy Spirit to truly reign in our lives. Sanctification of the Holy Spirit, whether it's the Second or the third, let's not get tied up in that. Because it says the only way that you're going to be able to see heaven is if you're baptized of water and you're baptized of the Spirit. That's the only way. And whenever I see those words and I see that conjunction, it it means that it's got to be both of them. can't be just one. It's got to be both. Nicodemus is helping us to understand that he brings it down to its very basic form. And he says that being baptized by water and baptized by spirit is walking in the light and living life that God has for us in front of the world so that they can see that we are doing God's will. That's really simple, isn't it? We shouldn't be confused. But what happens to us? See, Jesus knew our hearts. Sanctification, I've been sanctified. Do I have thoughts that are shady? Sometimes. Do I do things in the dark? Sometimes. See, that's what he's talking about. We love the darkness. But if we're going to truly do what God has for us to do, we must walk in the light. I, uh, I told y'all that, you know, I've, did I tell y'all that I'm beginning to exercise some more? 
Told y'all that I had to live healthier, right? I did tell y'all that. Friday, I walked three miles. I'm walking around that park, man. I'm just, I'm just a getting it. I got sweat running all down. I, you know, I'm just walking. I'm just walking away, man. I, you know, and then this pretty lady walks by. And I'm like, up, oh, up. Oh, that's the shadow thought. And I keep walking. Do you see? We've got to walk in the light. It's got to be your thought. It has to be pure thoughts. Your actions have to be pure actions. We love the darkness. Our human nature is, to draw, is drawn to the darkness. This living in the light that's in verse 21, that's really difficult to do. It's impossible to do without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, says some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. We all share the same spirit. The gift that the Holy Spirit might have given you might be just a little bit more glamorous than someone else's. But it's the Spirit, it's the gift from the Spirit to do the work that God has for you to do. There is no gift any greater than the other. Because each gift, if it is used for the uplifting of God's kingdom, it is used for exactly what He has created it and what He has given it to you to do. This morning... I cannot get away from here, and you shouldn't leave here without the opportunity to have hands laid upon you to receive the Holy Spirit. Rob, if you can come up, and I know a lot of y'all have, are sitting there, and you're saying, Pastor, I've already been sanctified. I'm not talking about sanctification. I'm talking about laying on of hands to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The power from God on high that gives us the ability to walk in the light. Gives us the ability that whenever our thought goes to the darkness that we stop and we stay in the light. That whenever our temptations are to draw us to the darkness, we refuse and we stay in the light. The infilling and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. If you would like for me to lay hands upon you to receive the Holy Spirit this morning, the altar is open. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for your Spirit being here with us. God, I pray, dear Lord, that your face would shine upon us and your blessings from heaven will flow in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.